You buy that? Glad you're here. Glad for those of you who are connecting online. We do want to invite you to join us here when you can. We try to make sure our chairs are sanitized and spaced out. We try to respect everybody's need for social distancing. And if you want a safer environment than this, the Student Worship Center across the hall is a place where it's mask required. The church is God's idea. But sometimes the word church gives people the wrong idea. The Greek word for church literally means the assembly, the gathering. It's not about the building. It's about assembling, gathering, and assembling and gathering is important. The people of God have been gathering on Sunday, the Lord's Day, the day Jesus rose from the dead, for millennia, because we need each other, and there's power when we gather together. Now, you may not be ready to go back to church yet. If not, how about gathering or assembling a few friends or neighbors or family at your homes, one of their homes? Because this thing is way too important to go it alone. If not Capital City, you need to find another Christ-centered church and make it home. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Okay, guys, it's been like days since we've said or done anything really offensive. So we're going to pile it on this morning. But here's the deal. If the offense is mine, shame on me. I know that sometimes we Jesus followers are jerks. And that does not honor our God and it doesn't make the church any better. But sometimes the offense is God's, we think. Because sometimes God's truth is hard to hear. It's offensive to us because we're jerks. We live in a world that's at war with God and it doesn't honor God and it doesn't strengthen the church to try to soften God's offensiveness. So as inoffensively as possible, I hope, we're going to say some things that are highly countercultural and highly offensive this morning. And I hope God will be honored. And I hope the church will be strengthened. So here goes. Number one, it's not going to start out offensive. Number one, we're weird creatures, we humans, kind of like we're hybrids. We're creatures with one foot in this world and another foot in a spiritual world. We're the ones that were made in the image of God. We were created to connect with each other and we were created to connect with God. You have a body and a soul. And here's the problem. Sometimes we get so obsessed with our bodies that we neglect our souls. And that's messing people up. We act like protecting our physical health is the most important thing when it is trivial compared to protecting our spiritual health. I pulled these numbers off the website for Kentucky's Department of Public Health. Here are the COVID numbers, number of COVID cases, and the number of COVID deaths by age in the state of Kentucky as of last Wednesday. According to my calculations, if you're under the age of 30, you have a 99.993 chance of surviving if you contract the virus. 
If you're under the age of 60, you have a 99.679 chance of surviving if you contract the virus. And even if you're over the age of 60, like me, you have a better than 93% chance of surviving the virus even if you get it. But, bottom line, guys, how many of us are going to die of something? I don't know, cancer, heart disease, stroke, accident, old age. I figure someday it'll probably be road rage for me because I'm going to make somebody that mad. <laughs> We're all going to die someday of something. What if there really is a heaven? And what if there really is a hell? What if this life is not the end? Because we're not just physical creatures, we're spiritual creatures too. Wouldn't that mean that our spiritual health is infinitely more important than our physical health? Wouldn't that mean that saving a soul is way more important than saving a body? We're messed up, guys. And here is countercultural, highly offensive piece number two. We believe, we actually believe that for spiritual health in this world and eternal life with God in the next, we believe you need Jesus. It's not just about being good enough. You need Jesus. It's not about being spiritual enough. You need Jesus. It's not about being religious. You need Jesus. And I know those sound like the words of an intolerant, narrow bigot which is almost a capital offense in this world of ours where tolerance is one of its highest values. But guys, we don't think it's our intolerance. We don't think it's our narrowness. It's not our bigotry. We think it's kind of like God's. We think if God says you need Jesus for spiritual health in this world and eternal life in the next, well, it wouldn't be smart to say otherwise. It wouldn't be truthful. It wouldn't be loving to say otherwise. Hang on, we'll get there. First, countercultural, highly offensive piece number three. When we say you need Jesus, we need Jesus, what we're implying is that without him, you're lost. Whether you know it or not, you can be lost without knowing it, guys. What we're saying when we say you need Jesus is that you're broken. You're a mess, a mess you can't fix alone. And that's hard for us to admit. It's hard on our egos. It's hard on our pride. And some push back and say, I think I'm good enough. Well, God disagrees. In God's eyes, you're lost. You're a mess. You're a mess you can't fix. You need Jesus. And when we're ruthlessly honest, we kind of agree. Well, there it is. So let's start unpacking this stuff. Now, I grew up in California and then Oregon, which explains a lot about why I'm so weird, right? Baptized at First Baptist Church, San Jose, California. Kind of a mega church before its time, about 3,500 members, as I recall. It had a huge neon sign outside that said, Jesus saves, something like this, only it was all white. And in my memory, every single Sunday morning, of course, my memory is 60 years old on that now, but every single Sunday morning, we would sing an old hymn. Some of you old guys probably know it, Jesus Saves, right? Remember that old hymn? We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, spread the tidings all around, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Hmm. And of course, I was kind of a sarcastic kid. 
So my question always was, from what? From what? I mean, my mom was mean. My mom made me eat broccoli and Brussels sprouts and cabbage and all other kinds of despicable food, and Jesus never saved me from any of that. You think Jesus is going to save you from COVID in this world? I mean, we Jesus followers get infected at about the same rate as everyone else. But it really is a big question. From what? If you look it up in a dictionary, a savior is someone who saves someone or, so, or something from some kind of danger. He's a, a deliverer, a rescuer, a healer. But you have to have some idea from what, right? I mean, there are puny saviors who can save you from puny dangers. And then there are humongous saviors that can save you from you humongous dangers, right? Dak Prescott. He's a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys are God's team, just to make you aware of that. That's free. Thank you. He broke his ankle last week. Up to that moment, he was the leading passer in the NFL, believe it or not, even though they're not that good. But last week, when he broke his ankle, the Cowboys were in danger. So they put in a backup quarterback, a guy named Andy Dalton. Some of you guys might recognize he was a Bengals quarterback last year. Dalton saved the day. Saved the game. I know it's God's team, but was that a puny save or was that a humongous save? Trump, Biden, Fauci, Bashir, Amy Coney Barrett, they're all considered saviors by some. How about Jesus? Now, we're fascinated with heroes, heroes who ride in and save the day, right? I mean, guys like Indiana Jones, Oscar Schindler, James Bond, Ellen Ripley, Han Solo, John McClane, Aragorn, Batman. I wonder if our fascination with heroes, with saviors, is an echo of the big story that we're all part of. And all of us like to imagine ourselves in the role of savior, right? We'd like to imagine that we are the ones to ride in and save the day. We'll be the one who's there when our friend hits rock bottom. We'll be the one to snatch the kid out from in front of that moving car. We'll be the one who figures out the solution to the problem that's vexing everybody. Or, or we'll be the one who hits the winning shot that saves the day. Except Stephen, my grandson. I don't remember how old he was, maybe five or six, but Stephen's imagination was just incredible. He'd run around the house playing an imaginary basketball game. He'd be dribbling the ball, he'd be passing, he'd be shooting, playing these epic basketball games. Till one time he goes to his mom, Alethea, and he's just crying, and she says, what's wrong, huh? Stephen says, we lost. I mean, if you're gonna play an imaginary basketball game, don't you think you ought to imaginarily win? Maybe even shoot the winning shot? <laughs> Have you ever saved someone who didn't know they were in danger? Happens a lot. You can see the danger that's coming and they can't see it. And you save them from a danger they never saw coming. That's kind of the job of a parent, isn't it? Saving kids from all kinds of dangers they don't see coming. And isn't that the job of Jesus? Switch it around. Have you ever been saved and you didn't even realize it till later? 
kind of like, holy cow, if I'd actually gone there, if I'd actually done that, I'd be host. If I'd married him, if I'd married her, I'd be in so much trouble. Have you ever been saved and didn't realize it till later? It's kind of the way it is with Jesus, isn't it? Because whether you see it or not, whether you admit it or not, you're a mess. You need saving, and he's already done everything necessary to get the job done. To save you from what? From what? Good question. Well, let's start here. Right before Jesus was born, there was an angel appeared to Joseph, the kind of human stand-in father for Jesus. And the angel says to Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child in her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. You know what Jesus means literally? It means Yahweh saves. Jesus or God saves literally is what it means. Because he will save his people from what? From their sins. You may not think you need saving from your sin. God disagrees. We talked about this two weeks ago. The apostle Paul put it like this. He said, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be our sin. To be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 600 years before There was a prophet by the name of Isaiah. He says, Jesus was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. He died to save us from sin. Apostle Paul put it like this. He said, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned. He died for sinners like you and me to bring us safely home to God. The Apostle John, the Apostle who probably knew him best, says this. He said, he himself, that's Jesus, is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. He saves from our sins, and not only our sins, but also the sins of the whole world. If we let him. Now, do you actually know what sin is? Sin is any time that you tell God no. It's an act of rebellion against God. In fact, in essence, sin is when we tell God, I think you're wrong on this one, God. Did you know there are sins of omission and there are sins of commission when we don't do the things that we ought to do? That's a sin of omission. When we do do the things that we shouldn't do, that's a sin of commission. We sin a lot. And if you understand that sin isn't just about things that we do, but it's about things that we think, we sin a lot. Now, you may not admit how serious your sin is. But if you're anything close to self-aware and ruthlessly honest, you know it's true. All of us sin a lot, and every single sin is a sin against God. Sometimes we don't think our sins are that big. We don't think our sins are that damning. God doesn't agree. He's the one we sin against. He thinks our sins degrade us, corrupt us, corrupt everything around us. He thinks our sins separate us from the life that he wants to give us and separate us from him. He thinks our sins are so dangerous that he actually had to send his own son in our place because we're incapable of cleaning up the mess that we're making. Guys, that's humongous. Jesus saves from sin. And then 
God actually thinks that there are wages of sin. There are consequences to sin, the natural outcome of sin. He says it's death. Apostle Paul puts it like this, the wages of sin is death. That's what happens. Free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. The only shot we've got is Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus saves us from death. Listen to the way the Apostle Paul put it in one of his letters to a guy named Timothy. He says, God saves us. God saved us from what? He saved us. He calls us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us grace through Jesus Christ. And then he starts getting to it. He says, now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who saves us. How? Because he broke the power of death. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through Jesus Christ. So, he saves from our sins. He saves us from the natural consequence of sin, which is spiritual death, which is humongous, way bigger than saving someone from physical death. One more. Jesus saves us from wrath, from the wrath of God. He saves us from hell. It's not something we talk about a lot here at Cap City because I'd much rather draw people to God through his grace than try to drive them to his God out of fear. And I think God prefers that too. Because I think so many people have this twisted misperception of God. The Bible does talk about the wrath of God a lot. And because of that, a whole lot of people think of God up there as angry and wrathful and kind of a hypersensitive jerk who's looking for some reason to smite someone for some reason. He's just up there looking for an excuse, waiting for you to mess up, looking forward to the day when he's going to get you. Someday you'll burn and the wrath of God will be satisfied. That's what a lot of people picture God like when they read something like this from the Apostle Paul. He says, since we have now been justified his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through Jesus? Being saved from God's wrath is a humongously good thing. But we mess it up. We use this to twist up this perception of God. We're thinking that Jesus is kind of up in heaven trying to calm Dad down. Saying something like, leave him alone, Dad. Just take it out on me. People miss it. God sent his son to die for you. So you wouldn't have to face the consequence for your sin. It was the Father's grace. It was the Father's love. It was the Father's sacrifice too. Guys, God isn't looking forward to judgment day. God isn't looking forward to sending anyone to hell. I mean, I've heard jerk Christians who seem excited about it. You know, someday God's going to finally make them burn and give us what we have earned or deserve. Have you ever loved someone deeply, really deeply loved somebody who was on a path towards hell? I have. I don't want Jesus to come back till those I love are right with him. Have you ever loved someone deeply who's on a path towards hell? Don't you hope God waits until they're right with God? 
And here's the deal. God wants that too. The Bible doesn't, God, God doesn't want to send anyone to hell. The Bible says God wants every single one of you, every single one of you to be saved and to understand the truth. No exceptions. God is not up there looking for an excuse to damn anyone. Instead, he provided a way to save every single one of us if we let him. Here's how the apostle Peter put it. He says the Lord isn't being slow about his promise about coming back. He's not being slow. Some people think. He's being patient. Why? Because he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants every single one of us to repent and get right with God and have eternal life. Every one of us. He's not looking for an excuse to smite anyone with anything. He's trying to bring you back. But he's not going to force himself on us. Someday, if we don't say to God, thy will be done, then God is going to have to say to you, and thy will be done. If you don't want me, I'm not going to force myself on you, and I'm going to have to let justice run its course. That is the heart of God. A God who sent his son to save us from hell, from death, from sin. And that's just not humongous, that's humongous on steroids. And it is about as countercultural and offensive as you can get because all of that stuff implies that without Jesus, you're a mess. You're a mess that you can't fix. It implies that without Jesus, you are lost. Without Jesus, you're not going to find your way home. Which is why Jesus says this. He says, I'm the way. I am the way. And I'm the truth and I'm the life and no one can come to the Father except through me, he says. Which may be the single most countercultural and offensive thing that Jesus ever said. I am, he says, the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one goes to the Father without coming through me. Now, do you buy that? Most people don't. It's too narrow. It's too intolerant. Most people buy stuff like this. Hundreds of paths up the mountain, all leading to the same place. So it doesn't matter which path you take. The only person wasting time is the one who runs around the mountain telling everyone that his or her path is wrong. It's an old Hindu proverb. Or this Arabic proverb, there are many paths to God, as many as there are souls on earth. Any of you old guys remember John Lennon? He's one of the Beatles, right? One of the guys who said we're more popular than Jesus, remember that? Lennon said, I believe that what Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and all the rest said was right, they're all right. It's just that the translations have got it wrong. I like Homer Simpson best. I'm going to die. Jesus, all a Buddha. I love you all. One of the great theologians of our time, Oprah Winfrey. One of the biggest mistakes humans can make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to what you call God. Or Stephen Colbert. Although I'm a committed Christian, I believe everyone has the right to his own religion, be you Hindu, Jewish, Muslim, and they do. We all do have that right. And then he says, I believe there are infinite paths to accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Jesus says, no. 
He says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. I am the path to the Father. And we Jesus followers buy it because if a man predicts his death and his resurrection and pulls it off, we think you ought to follow him. So here's the Apostle Peter, and this is just weeks after Jesus was crucified and then raised. Peter is in court being questioned by the same guys who had murdered Jesus, and Peter doesn't back down. He says there is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Huh. You buy that? Here's the apostle Paul. Paul is the guy who hated Jesus and he hated Jesus' followers until he had a one-on-one -on -one with Jesus and it kind of changes things. He says there's just one God, just one, and there's just one mediator, Jesus, who can reconcile God and humanity, the the man Christ Jesus. And so we Jesus followers went out and started trying to convince everybody. You see, these two things together give you a church that's on a mission from God with a message that is both offensive and powerful. God wants everyone, God wants everyone to be saved. He wants all of you, he wants all of them to be saved. And he's trying to grace us through his son, Jesus. That's the path. And listen, guys, for buying that, we're called intolerant, narrow, and bigoted. But what if? What if it's true? What if God is the one who gets to tell us how to reconnect with him? What if God decided that the way to tell us that was to send his own son to save us from our sins and to save us from death? and to save us from eternal separation from God. What if Jesus really is God the Son? And when he was crucified on that cross in our place, raised from the dead, then he really does offer us a way better life in this world and an infinitely better life in the next. What if Jesus really is God's truth and God's grace? If Jesus really is God's Savior, then we have the most important job in the world. Now, we've been putting these mazes on screen for the past few weeks. There's a reason. Because in a real maze, there's only one way into the center and there's only one way out. You can try all different kinds of paths, but only one of them is going to work. And you're not telling people the truth if you tell them otherwise. You're not being loving. You're not being gracious to try to tell them otherwise. Grace Without truth is not grace. Like it or not, we need saving. We need saving from sin. We need saving from death. We need saving from hell. And our God has gotten it done through Jesus. And it is not truth and it is not grace to say otherwise. So, is Jesus your Savior? And is He your Lord? Is He really? I mean, you've got a God. Everybody has a God. Is it Jesus? Is there anything more important to you than Jesus? Let me ask you some questions. You don't have to say anything out loud, but please be honest. What are you most afraid of more than anything else? What are you most afraid of? What do you want most?
more than anything else, what would you sacrifice most for this one thing? See, you do have a God. Is it Jesus? Where do you go for comfort? Maybe you're down, depressed, broken. Where do you go for comfort? Whose comfort do you value most? What frustrates you more than anything else? Or maybe even what angers you more than anything else? Better question, what makes you happiest? Or what would make you the happiest more than anything else? What would make you the happiest? What do you sacrifice for the most right now? What are you sacrificing most for right now? Because you do have a God, right? Is it Jesus? Whose approval matters most to you? Whose opinion, whose approval matters most? Last one. If you could change one thing in your life, what would it be? Just one thing. Bottom line, who is your God? Who's your Savior? Who is your Lord? Because you need one now, you know. Our world right now is obsessed by the wrong things. Now, these things are all important. Don't misunderstand me. They all matter. COVID, racism, politics, the economy, every one of them is important. But guys, God your relationship with God, their relationship with God is infinitely more important. Do you buy that? If you're not a Jesus follower yet, then you need to get it done. We think that's where life starts. Real life, eternal life starts in this world, a way better life in this world and an infinitely better life in the next. Is he your Lord and your Savior? You can get it done this morning. Bobby Scott's back in our prayer room. He's one of our elders. He's been praying for you. You can go back and talk with Bobby. He'd love to chat with you. When next little bit of the service, I'm going to be sitting right down here. Just work your way up. I'd love to talk to you. Maybe you are a Jesus follower, but you haven't been putting Jesus first in your life. Let's get it done. Every single week, we get to remind ourselves why we're here, why this assembly is so important to us. We gather here together because we're Jesus followers, because we can remember the most important day in every single one of our lives. We come around this Lord's table to remember. If you don't have one of those things around the room, there's some stations. You can pick up one of these little Lord's Supper things. On the top, you're going to find a cracker. And that little cracker represents the body of Jesus when he died on a cross to pay for your sins. Underneath that, you're going to find just a little bit of juice, which represents the blood of Jesus shed for you. He died so we can live. He died so we can live forever. This is a meal that we call the Eucharist. It's our Thanksgiving. It's our Thanksgiving meal. We have that every single week. I'm going to pray in just a minute and during this time and during the next few minutes after that, just spend a little bit of quiet time with Jesus. Time to get right with God. Bow your heads with me, please.